This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Let's get a check-in on where the Mets stand. A little more than a week out from the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Pat Regazzo, Mets beat writer on SI.com, joining us on this Sunday morning. Pat, how are you? I'm great, Pat. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on. Always great to have you on to see where this team is. Uh, You know, it's an interesting spot right now. They haven't lost any ground since the All-Star break, Pat. They haven't gained any ground. A couple of teams have come back to the pack a little bit, but, you know, this is a crucial time over these next 10 days as the Mets try to figure out what they're going to be for the rest of the season. Uh, what, what are they in your mind right now? Are, are they still in playoff contention? Um, honestly, I don't think they're in playoff contention until they get back to 500. And, uh, you know, yesterday was kind of the story of the season. They, they gained some, some momentum winning the first game of the doubleheader, and then they took a step back and losing the nightcap. Um, it's just the, the team, uh, you know, they're not going to be taken seriously. They're seven games out of the final wild card spot, but they're not going to be taken seriously until they get back to 500, and they still have a lot of work to do. It was a story of the season, you know, because winning that first game was big because, you know, when the rain forced the suspension on Friday night and you know you're going to have to rely on your bullpen, which, as we know, has not been a strong part of the team this year, to be able to pull that game out was huge. And then you turn the ball over to Max Scherzer. And unfortunately, what happened yesterday really has been the story of Max Scherzer's season. And, and I don't know if we're seeing, you know, he hasn't been terrible, but he's obviously not been what they need him to be. And, and it seems to me, and, and tell me what you think about this, that we might just be seeing the be- beginning of the end of a brilliant career. It could be. I mean, he he hasn't looked like the same pitcher this season. And, uh, you know, really it's been – his slider, that's been the issue. He's been hanging it a bunch. And, um, you know, he's had some good starts. He's had some bad starts. But he hasn't been that ace, that dominant ace that, that he has been in his career and that, that he was last year for much of the season. Um, and, and the Mets were built around uh, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander being their two horses atop the rotation and dominating. It just hasn't happened this year. And it's, it's kind of when you go back and look at the season where things have gone wrong, that's – that's kind of an area you need to point is, uh, you know, they haven't gotten that production out of the, their two aces. And, uh, you know, Max Scherzer's outing last night is kind of a prime example of, of how things have gone wrong this season. How about Verlander? Because it seems like he, more and more as we progress here, has given the Mets at least close to what they need from him. How would you assess his season so far? Yeah, he. I mean, he's coming off probably his best start of the season, going eight innings. Uh, allowing one run on three hits and striking out seven. Um, he's been better as of late, but, you know, even he'll tell you that he's been inconsistent this year too. I mean, he's coming off a Cy Young award-winning season with the Houston Astros, and uh, he hasn't pitched like a Cy Young ace this year. But, uh, you know, at least if there's some glimmer of hope here, uh, it is that he has pitched better as of late. You look at the Mets lineup, and look, that's been an issue all season long. Nimmo's been good, although he's tailed off a little bit since the start of July. But the middle of that lineup, um, especially Pete Alonzo, and his average recently dipped below 200. Um, he just hasn't seemed like the same guy since he came back so quickly from that wrist injury. Um, two hits yesterday, though, obviously a good sign for Alonzo. Uh, wh- where do you see Alonzo right now? Uh, it's been tough for him. He's been in a in a really bad funk since he came back from the IL, um, and you have to think that you know there's could be that he's still affected by that wrist 
because he really has not looked like the Pete Alonso that we've been, been accustomed to seeing, uh, you know, slug with the power numbers and, and he's, he's hit for average in his career too. And, and, and has, you know, decent enough numbers and, uh, you know, his average dipped below 200 and his OPS dipped below 800. And, uh, it's just, he, he's really just in a really, really tough stretch of his career right now. And how about Jeff McNeil? Because this is the biggest, uh, mystery to me especially coming off of being the major league baseball leader in batting average last season and it just seems like I know he had the fun inside the little league home run yesterday at Fenway Park but you know it just seems like this guy hasn't been able to gain any traction I mean what what have you seen from McNeil this season yeah McNeil's not been the hitter that he was last year of course and uh, that's kind of when you look at the Mets and the failures that that have occurred this year it's it's you know guys have regressed you know whether it be mcneil um francisco lindor pete alonzo starling Marte. these guys have regressed and and it, and it's really really kind of summed up into uh you know the, the disappointing season that they've had and mcneil is having a tough season like he did in 2021 and honestly he's having a worse year than he had in 2021 which is kind of hard to fathom that that he's struggling this badly you know given the hitter that he is the the high contact rate hitter you know the batting title champion he just he's he's kind of reverted back to his struggles from two years ago and um and kind of has had a worse time talking with pat ragazzo who's the uh, mets beat writer for si.com Mets looking to uh, salvage or win the final game of their three-game series against the Red Sox tonight. You can hear that on 98.7 ESPN New York. Um, all right, so take me through, Pat, the next eight days up until the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Um, what has to happen for the Mets to be buyers? What has to happen for the Mets to be sellers? Take me through the scenarios and what you expect to happen over the next eight days. Yeah, so, I mean, the Mets basically – they have a tough road ahead. I mean, they basically have to win every single game from now until the trade deadline. And let's be real here. I mean, honestly, time's up. Um, I think that especially after the loss last night and if they, if they lose tonight, then you can definitely say that they're, they're going to be sellers. Like they just are in a position right now where they're, they're six games under 500 and, there's the deadline is about a week a week away and um they just it, it's not realistic for them to to buy at the trade deadline like i think that um you're going to see them sell off not everybody but probably like the David Robertsons and the Mark Cannas and potentially Tommy Pham um it's just it's it's what makes sense i mean they're they're not going anywhere this year they're really, you know, not. They're seven games out of a playoff spot. It just it, it makes sense for them to sell, and that's probably what they'll do. What about Scherzer? Is there any chance that he could get moved, or will they explore moving him ahead of this deadline? I don't think they will. I think that Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander will stay put for the Mets. Is that because you don't think there's a market for him because of his salary or his performance, or are they still hoping to get something out of him next season? I think a little bit of both. I think, I think uh, you know, there's probably more of a market for Verlander. I know teams have been showing interest in him. I haven't heard that about teams showing interest in Max, but um, 
I think that they want to – they think that they can compete next year with Max Scherzer and Justin Berlander top the rotation again. So the Mets at 46-52 and 52, play the Red Sox tonight, day off tomorrow, and then the Subway Series in the Bronx on Tuesday and Wednesday. And you mentioned that you're not considering them a playoff contender until they get back to 500, and they have work to do. And like we said, they've been running in place since the All-Star break and really since before the All-Star break. Um, what has to happen in your mind, Pat? Is there a pathway, and if so, what is it for the Mets to get back to 500 and at least make the last couple of months of this season interesting? Well, they have to start. They have to go on a winning streak, and they have to play more consistent baseball. And they just haven't. I mean, uh, the silver lining is that they've gone ten and six in July, and they've gotten their starting pitching has been among the league best uh, in during this month. But um, that that's really what needs to happen. They they need to continue to get that strong starting pitching as well as uh, get some consistent hitting on offense, which hasn't happened. Jose Quintana made his first start. Um... Over the weekend, what 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 was the uh, what were the reports coming out of his first start? It looked like it was a pretty good debut coming off of that injury. Yeah, no, Quintana looked really solid, and um, you know he's being scouted, and and you know teams were impressed with him with what they saw out of him in his first start. It was definitely um, you know all the Mets could have asked for. So uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, he'll get another start here, and. Um, you know, potentially uh, it'd be like you hardly knew ye if they trade him. But, um, but yeah, I think teams are watching him, and, uh, and you know, he's a solid option. So here we are as the Mets, uh, the Mets approach their 100th game of the season. And, you know, we've already laid out the scenario below 500, seven games back of a wild card spot. You know, especially coming off last year, Pat, and I know – Last season ended on a sour note with the loss to the Padres in the wild card round and not winning the division before that. But still, it was a 101-win season. They were one of the best teams in baseball. Can you describe to me your level of surprise of where they are right now and how this season has played out? You know, it's not really that surprising because they basically brought back the same team that spluttered down the stretch of last season and they were relying on two 40-year-old aces, which is hard to, you know, it's hard to rely on those guys across a full season. So um, it's surprising that they're this bad, but uh, but it's not too surprising that they've struggled this year given the roster construction and just the blueprint of the overall team. You know, Buck Showalter was the toast of the town last year in leading them to those 101 wins until the very end, of course. Um, you know, we get callers here who, who love to call, no matter the sport of the team, about the coach or the manager's job security. Uh, do you think he's back as manager of the Mets next year? I do. I, I, think, that, I think that they're going to let Buck play out his last, his final season of his career, of his contract. Um, I, I don't necessarily blame him too much for this year, but, I mean, there, there has been times where you can question his bullpen management, but um, I think that they're going to run it back again next year. They're, they're going to make some. They need to make some roster changes. But um, I think that you know there's not many options out there to replace Buck Walter. So I think that he's going to get another shot in his last service deal. 
lastly, Pat, let's just play devil's advocate here because their next three games are high-profile games. Tonight, the Sunday nighter in Fenway, and then the two games in the Subway Series. And look, the Red Sox and the Yankees are by no means world beaters. So let's just say, hypothetically, the Mets go on a little bit of a run here. They win these next three games, and then you have back-to-back series against Washington and Kansas City. Now, the Kansas City series is after the trade deadline. But is there a scenario where they run off another one of those six-game winning streaks here where they could change their mind and decide to change their approach before the trade deadline? Yeah, it's still possible, but it just really looks looks bleak, honestly. there's Time has run out, and they just haven't played played that brand of baseball. You know, minus that six-game winning streak before the, before the All-Star break, it just hasn't happened this season at all besides one – uh, one short stretch, so um, I think it's highly unrealistic. But but there's there's obviously still a small chance. Pat, great stuff as always. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what this team does over the next week plus. And uh, thanks for your insight. Thanks so much for having me, Pat Ragazzo of SI.com, the Mets beat writer uh, on where they are right now. So look, the situation is uh, you know because of last year, and um, it was interesting hearing his perspective. Because because of last year, because of the payroll, because of the talent on the roster and the big names and all of that stuff, I have always been operating that unless they're completely buried. And what's buried, right? Ten games out of the wild card spot, which they were, I think, for like a day. So, yes, they did hit that depth, but they bounced right back immediately. And then they went on that little six-game winning streak right before the All-Star break. So that gave you a little bit of hope. And because of what they did last year, it gave you hope that I wasn't willing to look at this team as anything other than one that is still capable of getting hot and and getting into the mix in the National League wild card. But I, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm you know whistling past the graveyard here with this team and giving them too much credit for what they did last year because it is a tall task. And you know, you look back even since the beginning um, of that six-game winning streak, they won six, but then they lost four. And then they won three, and now they've gone one and two in their last three. So they're, they're basically now, we're talking about a two, two-and-a-half-week stretch where they're basically a 500 team. And from where they need to come from to get back into the wild card picture, they need to basically play 700 winning percentage baseball, not 500 or 515. And that's a very tall ask if Alonzo's not right, which it seems like he's not, and if Scherzer is going to give you what he gave you yesterday, there's just too many variables. It's got a very similar feel to what the Yankees are without Aaron Judge. The biggest difference being the Yankees didn't bury themselves by falling 10 games below 500. The Yankees are still very much mathematically, if you look at the standings, in the race in the American League, just two games out as we begin play today. The Mets have a lot, a lot more work to do. All right, we have a lot to do as well. Uh, We're going to get into the football training camp, obviously underway for the Jets. The Hall of Fame game is less than a week away. We'll have that for you right here as well on 98.7. And then the Giants report on Tuesday. Of course, not all of the Giants will report on Tuesday, and that continues to be the big topic of conversation around Big Blue the situation with Saquon Barkley and your calls as well. 1-800-919-3776. Pat will keep with you on this Sunday morning on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN.
Setting the stage for the day in Major League Baseball, the Mets hanging on by a thread, at least in my opinion, to any hopes of a playoff appearance. I mean, look, if the Mets are going to be sellers, and I just saw uh, an article on uh, ESPN.com dropped for Buster Olney saying that the Mets will be, you know, tempered sellers, which is essentially what Pat Ragazzo was just telling us. Tommy Pham, uh, Mark Hanna, David Robertson. Outside of David Robertson, I don't know that the Mets uh, have anybody who moves the needle, especially if they're not willing to part with Max Scherzer. And to be honest, Scherzer, how much is he going to move the needle now that the way that he's pitching with that 5.25 earned run average during the month of July? So the Mets tonight look for a series win in Fenway. Brennan Bernardino pitches for the Boston Red Sox against Carlos Carrasco. Uh, For the Yankees, they're looking for the sweep, and they will send Luis Severino to the mound against Jordan Lyles for the uh, Kansas City uh, Royals at 135 at Yankee Stadium. 1-800-919-3776, the number to call. Let's go back to the phones and uh, say hello to Jose in Brooklyn. Good morning, Jose. Hey, good morning, Mr. O'Keefe. I was just uh, here, um, catching the tail end right before the Met conversation. And I, I was actually at the Yankee game, and I'll make my Yankee point quick. Um, uh, at this point, as I see myself accepting the wins, I'm kind of ho- like hoping against, you know, the bad reality, which is is they'll string enough wins where it will fool them into thinking that, you know, they'll wait for Aaron Judge to, you know, possibly make a playoff run, which which I don't think this team is good enough to do. But, you know, hey, it is what it is. Uh, as a fan, all we can do is just, you know, watch, spectate, and enjoy. But to, um, to the uh, onto the point of um, Garrett Cole, I, 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 I totally get it because I'm not a fan of the analytics. I'm not a fan of just, you know, taking the pictures out after the, you know, first two, you know, runs of the lineup. It was just that from watching it from a spectator view at the game, it didn't look like um, Garrett Cole was mulling people down. It was more like uh, it it was like a uh, workman-like section of third where there were people getting on and you had a couple of people in runners in scoring position. And the way that that game was tight, luckily everything did work out for Boone, the bullpen pitched very well and you know they did get the late home run from Staten to pull away but um it, it, it is what it, it is what it is with this situation and it's kind of reminding me of um I'm not sure if you remember like you know those mid 2000 teams with Mike Messina where he was the only guy that was giving us length and then towards the end of the season of course you know the when we get to the dog days of the summer, they're gonna it, it's gonna whittle down, and now we're we're in the trouble where we have to mix and match the bullpen very well. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Thanks for the call, Jose. And the bullpen has been one of the strengths of this team so far. But as as I have said repeatedly, um, I I think what you have already seen from the bullpen of the Yankees is as good as they're going to give you. Right? They've already peaked in my mind. Now, they're, they're good. They're solid. But I don't think overall they are as good as they have shown. So the more you rely on them and the more you go to them early in games, the more of a chance there is that they're going to slip up or, quote-unquote, regress to the mean. And if you could avoid that, and I'm not saying avoid that every game, you know, you're going to have your starts by Clark Schmidt. And the bullpen was huge on Friday night, helping to shut down that game against Kansas City. 
Uh, you're going to have your starts by Domingo Herman, and you're going to have your starts by Severino, and now Carlos Rodon. And Rodon is still working his way up, both in terms of being able to give you length and give you quality appearances, which he hasn't done yet. So if you can, if, if there's a soft spot in the schedule for the Yankees' bullpen, logic would tell you that it's the day that Garrett Cole is on the mound. So I would like to see them take a little bit more advantage of that. This leaderboard update is brought to you by Ryan Reynolds Aviation Gym. It's getting interesting at the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool Golf Club. Brian Harmon, who led after round two, led after round three, and continues to lead. But his lead is now down to four. He is at 11 under par. He's plus one today through four holes. John Rahm, who shot a 63 yesterday, is at seven under par, and he's moved into sole possession of second place four shots back. Rahm is at minus one today through five holes. And then you have three golfers in a tie for third place. Tommy Fleetwood, Sepp Straka, and Cameron Young, all three of them at minus six. And then Rory McIlroy is at minus five. McIlroy had gotten to minus six. He was hot early. He has since given a shot back. So Harmon at minus 11, Rahm at minus six. Fleetwood, Straka, and Young at, uh, well, excuse me, Rahm is at minus seven. Fleetwood, Straka, and Young are all at minus six in a tie for third place at the Open Championship. The final round, that's your leaderboard update, brought to you by Ryan Reynolds. Aviation Gin, a smoother, more refined gin. Aviation Gin and Diageo Spirits remind you to drink responsibly. With training camp beginning for the Giants this week, when, if at all, can they or we Expect to see their star running back, Saquon Barkley. We'll get into that as we come back here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. All right, keeping an eye on things at the Open Championship, Brian Harmon has dropped another stroke, so he is at 10 under par. John Rahm is now three shots back, vying to win his second major this year and the third different major of his career. Harmon at minus 10 through 5, Rahm at minus 7 through 6, and Tommy Fleetwood at minus 6 through 8 holes. Enter the ESPN New York no-hitter sweepstakes for your chance to win $25,000. Find the no-hitter tile on the ESPN New York app, pick a team, and submit your entry. Today's qualifier is Donna Cooper from the Bronx, who has chosen New York's National League team to throw a no-hitter today. Presented by MoheganSunCasino.com. For full contest rules, go to ESPNNewYork.com. Mets are the Sunday night game at Fenway Park. Carlos Carrasco on the mound for the Mets. The Yankees will send Luis Severino looking for a sweep of the Kansas City Royals. Do a little Yankees lineup now. Jake Bowers back from the injured list, back in right field, and back in the leadoff spot for the Yankees. Glaber Torres batting second at second. Giancarlo Stanton, who's hot, is the DH, and he's batting third. Anthony Rizzo, the cleanup hitter at first. DJ LeMahieu at third, batting fifth. Harrison Bader bats sixth in center field. Billy McKinney, who's played well, he bats seventh in left field. A day off for Anthony Volpe, so Oswald Peraza starts at shortstop and bats eighth. And Kyle Higashioka, who is now the everyday starting catcher with Jose Trevino, lost for the season. Higashioka bats ninth. Luis Severino on the mound uh, for the Yankees as they look for the three-game sweep. 
All right, one 919 So training camp uh, for the Giants team reports on Tuesday in East Rutherford, New Jersey. And, of course, uh, the reportees will in all likelihood not include Saquon Barkley. We'll now be tomorrow a week since the deadline passed for Barkley and the, uh, and the Giants to agree on a long-term contract. How does this play out for the Giants? Um, well, Jordan Renan, who's covered this story for ESPN, uh, was on ESPN Radio. He's been all over the place talking about this. Uh, how it plays out for Barkley, I see it the same way uh, Jordan Renan sees it because I can't see uh, a scenario in which it's beneficial for, for Saquon Barkley to lose any more money because, unfortunately, because of where the economics are in the sport, um, he's already lost a lot. And, and to be honest with you, a couple of questionable decisions on Saquon Barkley's part has also cost him some money here. Uh, but here's Jordan Renan. Uh, on ESPN Radio on how he sees this playing out with Saquon. He wants to be a team first guy. That matters to him. It's very important to him, which is why I have a really hard time seeing him sit out. Now, maybe there's an alternative. We're not going to see him until like at least like around September. That's a given. There's no reason for him to come to training camp and risk getting injured after he feels that the Giants you know, weren't willing to invest in him. So you could book that. We're not going to see him until at least by September. Now, one possibility would be to show up a week before the season and be like, I'm not ready physically for week one. So it's kind of like a hold in. So he still gets paid. He's still there, but he does sit out one game. Like that I could see him doing. I can't see him sitting out longer than that long term because of the, and that's why he brought up the teammate part of it, because that's his mentality. Like it would be like, screw over his teammates and he can't imagine himself doing that I think that's a really good point by Jordan I think the money that he would be forfeiting by missing games is obviously a factor because money always is a factor in these situations but you know and and look I know fans don't want to hear this and I've had fans and listeners call and say that you know Saquon Barkley is being greedy and I had a caller last week during a show say why is winning not important anymore only contracts are important it doesn't have to be one or the other, okay? Saquon Barkley was trying to maximize his worth because this is or was going to be one of, if not the last opportunity in his career to sign a big contract. And unfortunately for him, it didn't work out that way. But you can want to maximize your worth and still feel that winning is important to you. Both of those things can be true. And in Saquon Barkley's case, I think they absolutely are true. They're not mutually exclusive. Like Barkley's being selfish, so he doesn't care about the team. That's not true. And it works both ways because the morale in the locker room, and these guys are going to be asked about this a lot, and they're not going to want to answer it. And it's going to be uncomfortable for the first couple of days of training camp. But when the Giants report on Tuesday and the media is there, the first question that everybody is going to be asked is, about Saquon Barkley and what were your thoughts on him not being able to come to an agreement and what's it like without him being here and how much does the team need him? I, I think we know how much the team needs him. And here's the thing. The Giants know how much the team needs him. The Giants wanted this to be resolved. I don't think the Giants wanted him to play on the franchise tag. I really don't. I think what the Giants wanted him to play on was the contract that they offered him, the one that reportedly was in the neighborhood of $19.5 million guaranteed uh, spread out over the first couple of years. Maybe they went as high as 20. Maybe they could have gone a little higher. I personally think if 20 was the max that they went to, I personally think that they could have gone even higher than that, but they didn't. They decided that they had a number in mind that they were not going to go above, and it's going to lead to some uncomfortable situations. 
But the bottom line for the Giants is going to be how does it affect them when the season starts? On September 10th, when they host the Dallas Cowboys and Saquon is probably not lined up in the starting backfield. Um, I guess he thinks that that's his last chance to show how important he is to the team. I personally think the team knows how important he is. I think that if he's not there and he doesn't give them what he gave them last season, then I think that this is a completely different team and not in a good way. Now, I think Daniel Jones is going to be better this year. You know, everybody loves to, the Daniel Jones detractors love to point to the 15 touchdown passes that he threw last year. But what about the seven touchdowns that he ran for? What about all the first downs that he ran for? The Giants just did things in a different way last year. It doesn't mean they were any less successful. I mean, they got to the playoffs. They were above 500. They won a playoff game. They just did it in a different way. Why? Because they didn't have great personnel. They didn't have a great offensive line. They didn't have an established quarterback. The receiver, the receivers, excuse me, were not good at all, especially once Sterling Shepard went down, uh, especially once Kenny Galladay officially became a complete waste of space and time. The Giants had very little. I mean, Isaiah Hodgins fell in their laps, and thank God he did. Wandell Robinson showed flashes and some promise early in the season, and then he got injured. So the Giants really did hold that thing together with duct tape, and it was Saquon Barkley, and it was Daniel Jones, and it was Brian Dayball using what was at his disposal the best he could, and they did. Now, I think they have a lot more at their disposal this season, even without Saquon Barkley. They have more, obviously, in the receiving tight end areas if Darren Waller stays healthy. He's the key to all of this. But Saquon Barkley remains the key to all of this. You know, when Saquon Barkley stands right next to Daniel Jones in that backfield or is right behind Daniel Jones in that backfield, and you don't know if it's going to be Jones and you don't know if it's going to be Barkley. And essentially, if you're the defense, you've got to prepare for three things. You've got to prepare for Barkley running the ball or you've got to prepare for Jones running the ball or you've got to prepare for Jones throwing the ball. But under all of those scenarios, you're always keeping an eye on where Saquon Barkley is. He is the focal point of your attention. And if you take him out of the equation, that is a huge detriment to the Giants offense. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Mitch in East Windsor. Hey, Mitch, how you doing today? Good. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, What's going on? Give me something with the Giants. Yeah, I mean, without Barkley... I don't think uh, Jones is going to have such a, a good year. But you got to hope uh, they get some production. You know, I guess that, cause that's going to be the new thing now, uh, committee, which I don't like. I think uh, you should, I, I think you should draft a good running back at least there. Yeah. I don't care what running it is. But I, I guess you can say you should draft a running back every year and same like, like a quarterback. They're going to go through this committee bit and not get the best, the most talent at that position. If you're just gonna, but you don't want to pay him after three, four years, right? Well, a lot of teams do that with the quarterbacks, and the Giants used to do that where they would draft a quarterback in the fourth or the fifth round every year just to see if someone could stick as a backup quarterback because you never know. And, yeah, I mean, right. the, the idea that you could draft a running back in the fourth, fifth, or sixth round every year because a lot of the times that's where guys who you get in those rounds of the draft are highly productive. Well, um, I know Bobby's had his share of injuries. But uh, if you see, um, a team with that has is going to have been a, a worse situation, I would say my charge because Eckler has a chance. Eckler gets hurt easily, and, he's a, and he does. He catches. I think he catches more balls than than, than uh, Barkley. But they've never gotten a found a uh, 
a back a good backup for an NHF running back almost every year too, like the Giants. Anyway, uh, thanks for taking the call. Um, can't wait for the season to start. Yeah, it's almost here. Thanks, Mitch. Um, I think there's injury concern with all running backs. You know, I don't think it's specific to Saquon Barkley. Look, Barkley's had – everybody likes to just point and paint it with a broad brush and say he's injury prone. He's had one significant injury. Well, two. He, to- he-, he sprained his ankle in uh, Daniel Jones' rookie year and missed four games. After that brilliant debut by Jones in Tampa Bay, aided by Barkley, he sprained his ankle and missed four games. That was a significant injury. And then the other one, obviously, was – the following season when he tore his ACL in Chicago and missed the rest of that year. You know, the, the, the following year in 2021, when he went out for a pass and he had just kind of gotten back to himself, he went out for that pass in Dallas and stepped on the defender's foot and badly sprained his ankle. That's not injury prone. That's happenstance. That's really, really bad luck. But that's not injury prone. And I guess over the course of a career, if those sorts of things continue to happen to one guy, but I'm not willing to sit here and say that Saquon Barkley is injury-prone right now. He's injury-prone because of the position he plays. They're all injury-prone. And the sport that he plays, they're all injury-prone. But Saquon Barkley doesn't put you at a greater, significant, a more significant injury risk than another player. But where the Giants are going to go with the running back position, hey, that's going to be the biggest storyline of camp. You know, and, and Dable's going to be frustrated. He's handled it well so far. He's handled everything well so far, especially his dealings with the media and you know, being the public face of this franchise. But it's going, to be, it's going to be real, real frustrating for Dable. Daniel Jones is going to get dragged into this because you know we've already heard it. Daniel Jones got his money and Barkley didn't. And who's better at their position? Is Barkley a better running back than Jones as a quarterback? Absolutely. Barkley's a top five running back in the NFL. And Jones is not a top five quarterback in the NFL. He's probably not a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I think you can make an argument. He might slip into the back end of the top 10. But most people will say that he's not. Yet he made $40 million guaranteed. And Barkley, if he chooses to show up and sign his uh, franchise tag will make $10 million. Is that fair? No. But life isn't fair. And that's what everybody has to realize here. No one has promised anything. It's unfortunate for Saquon Barkley, who did everything right, his you know path to becoming this NFL superstar, did everything right, right? He grew up, he worked hard, he trained. You know, we, we know the path he took. Penn State, second pick in the draft, brilliant rookie season with the Giants, Knee injury, works his way back, sprains his ankle, finally back last year as the catalyst for a playoff team. We finally got to see it last year. And unfortunately for him, while he was doing everything right to get to that point in his career, circumstances that he has no control over changed. Everybody likes to talk about analytics, and we were talking about it in the context of Aaron Boone taking out Garrett Cole earlier in the show. Analytics, this is analytics. And you know, the analytics say when you have X amount of money to spend on your team, you don't want to load up at that certain position because there's a lot of depth at the running back position, and you can get a guy who is not as good as Saquon Barkley, but the difference in production between what Barkley gives you and what that guy gives you is a lot smaller than the difference in what that guy gets paid 
and what you'll have to pay Saquon Barkley. And that is the unfortunate situation that Barkley finds himself in. But it's unfortunate. It's nothing more than that. It's not personal. I know Barkley thinks that this is, he, he, or I shouldn't say he thinks. I don't know what Barkley thinks. But it's been reported that Barkley seems to think that this is a giant issue. It's not a Giants issue. It's an NFL issue. And the other thing that I just, I can't see Barkley getting to next offseason and the situation being vastly different in his favor. I really don't. Because how can he have a better year this year than he did this past season? How? He was awesome this year. He's going to do better next year? And if he does, the Giants can still franchise him. So it's a tough spot for everybody involved. All right, I have some thoughts on the Yankees and where they are. We're going to hear some sound from the Jets as well because they're actually in training camp, and they actually have a preseason game less than a week away. So we'll get to all that as we continue. Pat O'Keefe in for Anita on this Sunday morning on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. All right, so it will be really interesting to see how this plays out with Barkley and the and the Giants. It seems pretty straightforward. You know, he'll report in time to uh, be able to recoup the entirety of the salary that he's entitled to this season, but probably not a lot earlier than that. So how much will that affect the Giants' season? That is the, the biggest question. And again, I keep going back to... What was the difference? I'd love to know what the actual difference between the Giants' last and best offer and what Barkley really wanted. And if it's, you know, in the $1.5 to $2 million range, I would love to know why that amount of money. I know it's, it, you know, it's, we're not talking about 10 or $15 million on a salary cap. We're talking about a million and a half to $2 million. Was it worth, you know, jeopardizing the start of your season and really your entire season? Because you only play 17 of these games. And if Barkley's absence or ineffectiveness is going to cost you one of them because of this, was it worth it? We'll find out. Let's go to Corey and Edison. Hey, Corey, how you doing? Hey, Pat. Thanks for taking the call. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, we, uh, Renan said makes a lot of sense about him eventually coming in September and checking in. But I think it's wishful thinking to think that he's just going to miss week one. I can easily see Saquon showing up first week of September and saying, you know, I need all September to basically use as my camp and get ready, and I'll see you in October. You know, I'll be ready to play in October. And if that's the case, you know, the first four or five weeks for the Giants are really tough. You know, so by the time he even gets back, the Giants might be looking at two and three, one and four, and an uphill battle. So, yeah, I'd like to hear what you think about that. Yeah, I think that's a possibility, and it's a point that Bart Scott has brought up as well, and he mentioned this on uh, his show with me on Wednesday that, uh, you know, the sit-in, I think, right? It's not the hold-out, it's the hold-in. Yeah, you're there, you're getting paid, but you're not ready to play. And I think he said you could do that for up to like four weeks. So, hey, we, we know that this entire time Saquon Barkley has not had the leverage, and he's running out of leverage. Um, you know, maybe he's trying to show the Giants what they look like without him and how much he means to them. Like I keep saying, I think the Giants know. I really do. I think the Giants' desired outcome here was not for Barkley to play on the franchise tag. I think it was to find a number that they were comfortable with to guarantee over a couple of years, and away we go. But it just didn't work out that way. Let's go to Harvey in Florida. Harvey, what's going on? Hey, how are you? Um, here's, I want to make a point why I'm with the Giants. I'm a Giants fan. I'm siding with them against Barkley, and here's why. Um, 
Originally, the Giants offered him $14 million a year, and he said, no, I want to be paid more than McCaffrey, okay? Now, Miles Sanders, an all-star running back for the Eagles, who had a great year this year, excellent year, went into the marketplace, free agent. The best offer Miles Sanders got was $6 million a year from the Panthers. David Montgomery, a good running back with a lousy Bears team, went free agent, and the best offer he got from the Lions was $4 million. My point is the marketplace has changed drastically the last year or two on how the NFL teams view running backs, their worth. It's not a matter, is Barkley a, a great runner, a very good runner, will he get hurt? It's a matter is what is a running back worth? Now, Bart Scott was touting Nick Chubb. Oh, Nick Chubb two years ago got really good money, and he, yeah, he's a very good runner, but... But two years ago, running backs got paid more money. McCaffrey yep. and him. Now Dalvin Cook and Ezekiel Elliott, they don't even get offers at all. They, they're, they're just sitting out there. The market has changed. The NFL doesn't value running backs. And the Giants gave him a huge offer, $14 million. He said no. Now they franchise him, $10 million. Even the $10 million is more money, almost double what Miles Sanders got as a free agent. So who's right and who's wrong here? Harvey, it's a good point. The only thing I'll push back on is Saquon Barkley, and thanks for the call, is a lot better than than Miles Sanders. Um, and I forget who the other running back. Oh, Montgomery. He's a lot better than those guys, and he's a lot more important for the team as well. But it's an interesting predicament. We'll have more.